Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Follow your bliss. And when you follow your bliss, doors will open where there were no doors before. That's a quote by Joseph Campbell and one of the favorite quotes of our guest. Before I introduce Dennis, I'd like to invite you to visit my website, theprofitablephotog.com. Drop off the fur, so photog.com. And also, I really appreciate when you rate and review and subscribe to this podcast. And also share with your friends if you're enjoying it. I have discovered that this has been listened to in 37 countries since starting in June. So I'm super, super excited about that. So now I get to introduce my good friend, Dennis Jones. He is a Renaissance man in the true sense of the word. Artist, speaker, musician, author, professional traveler, and an award-winning master craftsman photographer. His photography business has been his occupation for 37 years, starting as a portrait and wedding photographer and then becoming an architectural photographer, travel photographer, and on-the-mountain ski photographer, which he has lots of great stories about that. He has also been a professional writer for 19 years. His book called Land of the Turks has been published recently. Prior to being a photographer, he spent 15 years as a musician, performing with symphony orchestras, chamber music ensembles, and in recording studios. He currently lives in Genesee, Colorado, and also has a cabin that's off the grid in western Colorado. And he's a world traveler, and so he's actually in other wonderful places many, many months of the year. More than most people I've ever known, he has lived what I would consider the good life doing what he loves day after day, year after year. So welcome, Dennis, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. You have such a rich journey, and I'm thrilled that I get to share you with my audience. Well, thank you for inviting me, Lucy. This is going to be a pleasure. Yes, I, I think so too. So one of the main topics I want to be sure that we dig into today is the topic of reinvention the how and the why you made many leaps in your life and took on new challenges. I'd also like you to give us a window into the world of the high-end, high-dollar architectural photography, which I know is one of your areas of expertise. Your career in the arts has taken lots of new paths, and they all seem to build on a foundation of what went before. So let's start with a little about how you started your photography business in San Diego. Well, I had been playing with symphony orchestras and one in, in Mexico for a couple of the years and moved back to my hometown of San Diego and played with the San Diego symphony for a while. And, and it just became unsatisfying. People I worked with somewhat, uh, you would think people in symphony orchestras would be very happy because they're doing what they love to do and they don't have to work that hard. But the reality is something 
a bit different. I had met a woman in Mexico, and she was actually a costume designer, and she designed, uh, well, had been working way too long for almost no money. And one day after an audition, we were in bed and asked her, what do you want to do? And she said, well, I want to design and hand make wedding and evening gowns. And I said, well, I'm going to be a photographer. And I quickly learned how little I knew, even though I'd been photographing since like junior high. But it went on from there. That relationship ended. I opened a studio in downtown San Diego, of course, got involved with the professional photographers of San Diego County and the PP of A, PPC in California. And it just gradually evolved from there and, and grew, got my master's and had a thriving business for quite a while. Met you, of course, the first female president of professional photographers of San Diego County, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And did you start your photography business in 82? It was about 82. Yeah. So we about the same time we got our licenses, we joined PPA. And so I know your brother also joined you in your photography business. When did that happen? Well, it was about 1984, I, I really believe. That was when I opened the studio in downtown San Diego, in the Arts District, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And he and his wife had moved down from Seattle, from a long stint up in Seattle, and he wanted to get into photography, so I brought him in as a, as a partner. And just FYI, Dennis and Les produced some of the most elegant wedding photography. When I think of what you did back then, it always had a richness to it. And a, I'm sure with your classical music training, there's there's a sensibility that you have that goes towards the good stuff, the classics. Would you say that's true? Oh, definitely. And along that line, I encourage every parent to get their children involved in music. It will mm -hmm. It will improve their life over their entire lives. It's been proven time and again to be extremely beneficial in spatial reasoning, in mathematics, etc. You might have to push them a bit, but music is invaluable. Yeah, it's amazing when they've done brain studies on that and success studies, you know, in school success, how people with some musical training and kids without, what a difference it it makes. So I love that you brought that up. Okay. So somewhere, I think it was early nineties, if I recall, you made a very big change. So I know that my listeners are going to love to hear this story and kind of even be surprised at what you chose for the next chapter of your life. Well, the studio was going along very well. We had four employees, growth 40% a year pretty much on average and then august of 1990 came and there was a recession a lot of the middle management people in some of the tech industries at that time in san diego lost their jobs the economy just went down my business just went flat mm. and for the next three years we were just kind of struggling along not growing 
hardly at all, still doing, you know, making a living, but not great. And I was getting increasingly burned out. Too many weddings, too many portraits. And the only thing I had a passion for, as you know, was skiing. Mm -hmm. So I decided, I looked into it, moved to Colorado, sold my, my part of the business to my brother. And I made the commitment to myself that I was going to make it in ski country, whether I had to clean toilets or not. If that's what it took, that's what I was going to do. Fortunately, it never ended up that way, but I was able to easily get a job on the mountain doing uh, photographs of people. It was a company called Sharpshooters, and they were nationwide run by two brothers out of Frisco, Colorado. They had a great business, great business, eight-digit photography business in a lot of the major ski resorts. But it was, yeah, it was, it was difficult. That first year I was at Copper Mountain and it was a hard sell because there were a lot of people, front rangers, we call them, people from Denver. They'd been coming up. They'd been hit up by sharpshooters for years. So I, I did that first year. I was on the mountain, skied for 148 days that year, which was pretty amazing. But I was fried. When we had to do the sales, especially on weekends, we were in a place called Copper Commons, and it was all videos over video monitors. On the weekends, Mo Dixon, who was an excellent guitarist, excellent musician, was right around the corner, and we literally had to yell at our customers to be understood. Well, that's crazy. It <laughs> was crazy. <laughs> but I made enough money, and I, I ended up just taking that the next summer off, like four or five months, I knew I wanted to come back to Colorado. I knew Vail was the place I wanted to be. And I spent that entire summer just traveling around, camping in the woods of the Northwest, mainly in Oregon. And I did daily every single exercise in Julia Cameron's book, phenomenal book, The Artist's Way. So what kind of exercises? I love that book. What kind of things did you do from the book? Do you remember? Boy, there's the morning pages that she recommends. So every day you, you write, she says three pages. It took her 15 minutes. It took me like an hour and a half to two hours every morning just to write stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. That was one. One of the other exercises in my favorite was imagine and describe your ideal day. Well, what I came up with was very prescient because it really everything in almost everything in that description of the day including having a cabin over a creek with my life partner in this case Yolanda who I found in Vale and just creating within that environment has come true because I have a cabin in western Colorado overlooking a beautiful creek and you've been there, you know. Yeah, it's a great little hideaway and just, it's magical. So that's awesome. I didn't know about that part. So I I saw her speak. Uh, it was a day-long workshop, which was amazing to spend a day with her. And we did an exercise where we wrote down five other careers if we didn't do what we're doing now. 
And I think she suggested ones that maybe the kid in us would have liked to have done. So I wrote down lounge singer, famous poet. Um, I can't remember the other three offhand. And then she had us write down what is one thing that we can do that will give us the feeling that we're doing that. And so I wrote, you know, a couple little things on each one. And I ran across it a year later and I realized, oh, I was taking voice lessons and I was reading my poetry at coffee shops and that those were satisfying some of those, those urges. And at the same time, I got to learn that those were not things I wanted to do for a living, but I loved that I got to express myself in that way. I probably would put down being a comedian. And a few years ago, I started doing improv. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't, didn't know. That's hard. It was not hard for the first two cycles of classes because it kind of was more like clown school. Let's just have fun. <laughs> but then the third round, there is technique. And then, yeah. And for me to be on stage is fun. The one I really loved that a lot of people would be like, no, never going to do that, is musical improv. Because oh. I got to combine my singing. And I've made up songs all my life, you know. So anyway, yeah. So I just connected the dots that I, I uh, let myself pretend I had a career in standup. So yeah. The other thing that I wish I did more from Julia's book is the artist date, the weekly oh, yeah. Yeah. artist date. Yeah. I would, uh, out in the forest, I would just take myself out, you know, set up something. One, one of them was I, I drove over to Sisters, Oregon, because I was on the opposite side of the, of the Cascades. Mm -hmm. And when I got into Sisters, which is a little tiny, beautiful little Western town, it was like LA traffic. I couldn't believe it. And I, and I stopped at the Forest Service place and I said, what in the world's going on? Well, I had stumbled upon the Sisters Quilt Show, which is every year in July. And there are these just fabulous quilts hanging all over town. And, oh, man, I got, uh, I got out my camera and I was taking pictures of the quilts. It was, it's something to see. Works of art. Yes. I have a, a friend that is a master quilter and she's opened my eyes up to the art of that. So how cool. All right. So you're in the forest. You're doing artist's way. You're writing your goals. So then where did you go from here? Well, as I said, I knew that I wanted to, instead of living in Summit County, which is over Vail Pass, east of Vail, I wanted to live in Vail because I knew working sharpshooters, I could make an awful lot more money in Vail than I could. So I headed back to Colorado. I needed a job. Turns out the next door neighbor was a stonemason. I found it in the in the the Vale Daily, so I went to work uh, doing stonemasonry with this guy until the ski season started. Hardest work I've ever done in my life, by far. But what that led to was shortly after the season started, and I was on the mountain doing sharpshooters. His girlfriend worked for a property management company. Well. 
the famous company Enron mm -hmm. was coming to Beaver Creek. They had five houses, five big houses that they rented in Beaver Creek the entire ski season. Each house had a host. The stonemason's girlfriend was in charge of everything. And I got hired to be a host being paid extremely well to ski every day. And all I had to do was set up the ski lessons, you know, meet these people. They came in every four days, different group of people, get them set up with skis, take them on the mountains lessons, going out to the best restaurants every night and being new best buddy. Dennis, I am so sorry that you had to go through that. <laughs> oh my God. It was tough. It was really yeah. tough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. So by uh, showing up and what I'm hearing is you did your inner preparation in Oregon and that you took on activities like doing stonemason keeping yourself open to what might unfold, like, like just showing up day after day to do what it took to be where you wanted to be and then allow your next indicated step to unfold. Yes. All right. So you've got this awesome thing going. And so then what? Well, then I, I was really burned out on photography again. And I just really didn't want to, um, to, to even look at a camera. So I, I spent another couple of months in the forests and in the East, uh, Western Oregon, came back, got another job just doing, uh, just doing something. And gradually that evolved into, into the architectural work. It took me, oh, maybe two years or something before I really saw that I wanted to get back into photography started looking at uh, builders, meeting some of the builders and architects in town, and started photographing some of the most beautiful residential architecture in the world. And those jobs came from, what would you say, like the two most significant activities that you did? How did those show up for you? Well, here, here again, a little synchronicity, which is a, a very important term, synchronicity, where I had been working. It was in a paint store. I was selling paint, but I was meeting everybody in town, which was really interesting. But upstairs was a builder and it just, you know, synchronously started, showed him some of my work. And he says, great, I've got all these projects. There's a new brochure that this company's doing on me. So we, we'd like you to photograph everything. Well, so I moved, uh, moved from, from that wonderful paint store experience to developing an architectural business. And I, was, I just photographed, I don't know how many. And this was all in the days of four by five. So this was long before digital. So it, it, I figured it took me a good two and a half hours to just do a single shot, doing all the Polaroids you know, setting up the lights, changing the lights after each Polaroid, and sh then shooting the film, because I shot it both on, on 4x5 negative and 4x5 chrome, uh, which was ectochrome in those days. So was this standard, or were you offering a more high-end service? 
than people that might pop in with a 35 millimeter in a flash. I mean, did people know and, and paid the premium and understood the value? Oh, yes. Yeah, they, they definitely understood the value. Uh, in, that, in that market, you couldn't possibly use a 35 millimeter camera. Just, uh, you know, the architects, these are some just excellent architects. And they, they know. They know the difference between, uh, you know, 35 amateur and four by five. Couldn't, couldn't do anything less. So have you done some for real estate or is that doesn't pay well? Like what's your experience? Well, my experience with realtors is yes, they, they didn't pay well, but now with a friend of mine who has been doing a lot of architectural photography digitally, for, for realtors around the area, he's done very well. And he's, he's uh, making a very good day rate, very respectable day rate working for realtors. So one opportunity that could be when I think someone is, is working towards bigger goals, but needs some income and doesn't want to be a stonemason. <laughs> <laughs> or work in a paint store. Yes, work at a paint store is to hook up with people who rent vacation rentals and need photographs when somebody new signs in. So not the individuals, but there are companies like I have a cute little vacation rental above my garage in San Diego and I have an agent and he now, I think he has 200 properties. When I started with him, he had like 10, but they need good photographs. And I do have a coaching client that got connected to some different people. And it, it brought in some steady income that paid better than a paint store. And she gets the experience of going into homes and, you know, other properties and getting to practice her skills. It's a, it's a start. It's a place to start. Airbnb, we know, first off, when we travel anymore, we, it's rare we stay in a hotel. We, we stay in Airbnbs. Like we were in New Zealand for two and a half months and in Australia earlier this year, and we stayed exclusively in Airbnbs and had wonderful times. And I was even able to trade some photography for nights at places we really liked and with wonderful people, made some Ooh, great friends. Smart. Yeah. That's another thing you can do with a camera. Right. So what would you say, do you have a couple tips on being an awesome architectural photographer in the high-end world? It's number one, all about lighting. Now, digitally, it's very possible to do multiple exposures, you know, without moving the camera. So you can get the proper indoor exposures, proper outdoor exposures, and then in various programs, Photoshop, et cetera, using layers to merge the different parts of the photograph so you can come up with something that is you know, uniquely beautiful to that particular room. So in that circumstance, would you still bring lighting or rely on, on the kind of HDR merge potential? I've, uh, in fact, I wrote a, an article a, n- a number of years ago. It was in the, the old studio photography magazine. And I really experimented with HDR. And I called that article the heaven and hell of 
architectural HDR. Mm. You, you, you can, but you just cannot do the quality using exclusively HDR. You have to add some flash and combination of ambient light in order to get the room to really appear like a, a normal, good-looking, beautiful room. And if you're working at night, and I, I still work a lot with tungsten lights. Love them. Mm. And so much of the lighting in a really good piece of architecture is already designed in. So my effort in photographing, especially at night, is to just simply enhance the lighting that's already there, opening up shadows, illuminating woodwork, making the woodwork come alive. So yeah, you have to use architectural lighting, various types. Uh, LED panels are wonderful. So where do you recommend somebody would learn how to properly light and do the the craft and the art of architectural photography? Are there some people you've studied? Well, early on, I I, I took various classes, like at, at West Coast School, and uh, which is part of the Professional Photographers of California. You know, took some classes with some excellent architectural photographers. They're reading, of course. Nowadays, online on YouTube, you can learn about anything. Mm. So is there anybody you particularly admire photographically for their architectural style? You know, I, <laughs> that's a good question because I, I really haven't looked at too much. There is one guy, Sergei Romali, who has, has, has done, he's well-known online. He's, he's excellent in any event. He's got some excellent instructional videos online. I, I just had a something that came to mind, and maybe you will agree with me, maybe you won't. But one of the beauties of being a wedding photographer early on in a photography career is that to be excellent at it, we are doing fashion, architect, event, portraiture. What else? Like almost Still everything life. comes in play. Still life, yeah. Um, editorial, street photography. Yeah. Right. I used to say when I spoke about wedding photography years ago, I used to say that photographing a wedding is one of the, the most difficult forms of photography. And it's, it, you can relate. It's very true because you have to do your best work under some of the, oftentimes the worst possible circumstances. Mm -hmm. There's never enough time and boy, you had better get it right. So what's awesome about that is that, then we get to dabble and learn and grow in all kinds of different areas so that in the future, like I know I'm a much better portrait photographer because of every Saturday, you know, at least 40 per year, Saturday or Sunday, in a hurry, I was needing to find light, solve problems, and come up with some, some portraits at the same time as you know, all of those other activities. And so I learned to see and I learned to, to assess a usually less than ideal lighting situation and make it work. And yeah, so I, I'm just guessing that photographing those beautiful churches and hotels and things that you did for your 
weddings contributed to some of your innate ability to photograph architecture in such a beautiful way. You know, Dennis, there's like a zillion things we could keep talking about. I know that you are awesome at getting repeat business and finding clients and such. And maybe we'll we'll talk about that another time. But the reinvention of yourself as a travel photographer is what I see as sort of that next evolution in your life. And travel writer. To me, your travel blog is one of the best I've ever, ever, ever encountered. So tell me about the traveling and the photography and the travel books and all that stuff. Well, in another instance of synchronicity, there was in Vail fairly early on, well, this is actually more than 20 years ago, shortly after I moved there, I started attending or saw an advertisement for a great books group that was being formed. And I started going, well, that's where I met Yolanda, who is my significant other partner in life and crime. And I, I have to say, too, that that same book group is still going. In fact, we, we were in Vail just the other day for another meeting. And it's been a group of friends that have been meeting for over 20 years. Mm, I love that. And it's just one of the something that has enriched both Yolanda's and my life, not just in meeting her, but just all of these friends and reading books that we would never have read, suggested by other people, of course. Mm -hmm. Yolanda had, had spent her career in, in real estate, mainly buying, say, condos, investment properties, and you know, maybe fixing them up, selling them. She's been doing that. Well, I will completely credit her with having a lot of the financial resources to have the freedom to travel. But of course, the spirit, it's also the spirit of travel that she has. And we, we complement each other greatly. And there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I, of course, contribute in many respects. And, and we travel very inexpensively, as inexpensively as we can. We've, we've gotten very good at that. And, it, and so I, I really encourage people to travel because it, it doesn't take a lot of money, surprisingly. So you have this wonderful opportunity because you have a partner and you both are willing to just put something together and leave for weeks and months at a time. And of course you'd have your camera with you. But to me, you created something beyond, I'm just going to take pretty pictures of places that I visit and post them on Facebook. So can you tell me a little about that or, you know, just fill in the blanks? Sure, sure. Well, really, one of my favorite things to do ever in the world is to just go wandering about some foreign city or some foreign landscaping, just looking for whatever photographs appeal to me, anything that appeals to me. And I, I've, I've thought often that uh, what makes a good photographer is that we are able to see patterns and to find meaning in patterns that most people just don't see. And that's, that's what we would really call composition. So wandering around these foreign cities, I've been able to really accumulate 
a big portfolio of travel images. Now, the problem, too, is how do you sell travel Im images? Yes, that's the big question. <laughs> yeah, and that's still a question for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, will, I will be utterly honest. There's, there's a lot of editorial opportunities. There's, of course, writing travel articles, which I have done, and that's been a source of income. There's books, but books are expensive. And you have to be really good at self-promotion in order to have a successful book project. And I'm, I'll be totally honest, that that is one of my downfalls. I think it's true for most creatives. That's one of the talks that I give is creativity into cash because it's, you know, learning the, the business of art, which you certainly have learned. So I don't think uh, you ought to be too sheepish and call it a downfall because you've made a living, you know, in your weddings and then the things that you created in Colorado you obviously were able to to make that work travel you know it is it is a different uh it is a different beast and also i think you have the luxury because of of your history and the things you've created you're not going to starve to death if you don't sell your travel photography your good life continues so yeah i don't know if that made any sense did that make any sense Dennis? Yeah, well, well, it, it's it's also a matter of values and and what value you place on work and exploration and creativity and business because I could have made a lot more money. I'll be totally honest; could have made a lot more money, worked a lot harder, but the actual enjoyment of life and learning and travel and was more valuable than that additional income. I, I've been able to also develop a, a clientele in corporate event photography where, I mean, I, I travel all over the country and I've traveled all over the world doing corporate events for some of my excellent clients, uh, the Consumer Technology Association that puts on the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas every year, CompTIA, which is the trade show for IT professionals. So I've been paid very well to do that and to do the architecture, which has given me the freedom to have the time. Right. So if your value had been more money, you would have and would in the future create it. You have done it. You're fully capable. You choose lifestyle over riches. Is that kind of that, what I'm hearing? Very true. Yes. And you have a good life. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> what can I say? If I could sleep in less than comfortable beds these days, I'd probably rent my house out as an Airbnb and do my coaching and podcasting in more rustic parts of the world as it is i can barely sleep comfortably in my own bed <laughs> just you know life unfolds so but yeah i i've always wanted your life a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well i've i've always admired your business acumen and and your your sales ability because you've 
you've done very well for yourself. Thank you. My mom was a salesperson. I don't know if you heard this story. I have told it on this podcast once or twice. When I was maybe seven, I walked around the block. I wasn't allowed to cross the street, but I could, as long as I stayed on the sidewalk, I could walk all the way around the block. And it, it wasn't a very big block anyway. Picking the neighbor's flowers. I didn't know that, that God didn't plant those flowers there. You know, they were just flowers. So I picked them. I took them home. I made little bouquets with ribbon, you know, like Christmas ribbon. And then I walked back around the block, knocked on doors and sold people little bouquets. <laughs> sold, sold them their flowers back to them. Yes. And I realized, first of all, obviously, I'm a, someone that wants to turn my creativity into cash you know, because I was making something artistic and then turning it into a marketable product. And when I'm selling photographs of people, I'm selling them their flowers, you know, the those things they love back to themselves. So yeah, I, I am a natural in sales and my mom was great at that. So yeah, that is one of the challenges with a lot of photographers is getting over the idea, first of all, that it's somehow sleazy rather than it blesses people when we create something wonderful and then we find the path to sell it to them in a way that they're going to enjoy day after day, year after year, forever. If they, you know, if they take care of it. You know, to me, that's not sleazy at all. That's a, oh, that's no. a gift to people. Mm, yeah. All right. And so you had this opportunity to do a book in Turkey. So let's talk about that because I love that adventure story. Another little bit of serendipity or which or synchronicity, whichever term you want to use. There's the uh, Pacifica Institute. It's a Turkish American group out of Los Angeles. And some friends of ours told us about a trip that they had gone on. All they had to do was get themselves to Turkey and then they were essentially given a 10-day tour, all expenses paid, of Turkey. Well, it was like, how do we sign up? It took a, it took a few months, and uh, then we got a response back and said, well, can you go in August? Well, no, we couldn't go in August. Well, how about September? So, sure, sure. So, we flew to Istanbul and spent a few days met up with the group. It was a very interesting group of people, only about 11 of us. UCLA professors, professor of law in Santa Monica College, Israeli artist, et cetera, et cetera. Very interesting group of people. And we had a fascinating time in Turkey. Well, coming back, I wanted to do something special for the Pacific Institute. And so I produced a blurb book of the adventure. Mm -hmm. gave it to them. Well, that led to a book contract with the Blue Dome Press, which is a Turkish-American publisher out of New Jersey. And I had to go back and spend some more time, collect more images, collect more experiences in Turkey, which we did. I've spent about a total of 70 days in Turkey just wandering around the country. We found another tour for like, I think it was $1,100 for 11 days, which included airfare. And it was a, another great 
great tour and then went on from there, traveling in other places on our own in Turkey. Took me about, I don't know, a year and a half, can't remember, to actually write the book and edit things down. But now, you know, I have this book to my name. It's called Land of the Turks. It can be found on Amazon. Just Google Land of the Turks. It's a beautiful book, by the way. They did a great job. So are your books available in Turkey when people go to gift shops and and bazaars where you buy spices and fabric and things? So what's been happening in Turkey with your book? Well, there's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of political turmoil in Turkey. And the group that published my book has become pariahs mm. in Turkey. In fact, the actual publishing house was taken over by the government and basically shut down. Mm. So the affiliates around the world have been able to publish, but no, it's, it, it's very unfortunate that the political situation in Turkey is, uh, is the way it is. Yeah, that's too bad because it's a beautiful book. You know, there was a surge for a while where the place to go and to travel was Turkey. And it sounds like it's maybe a little more iffy, you know, we won't go into all that, but right. I have this feeling that something serendipitous is going to come of that probably already has, but I have a feeling Dennis, there's, there's more to this story that will unfold. So to be continued. Yeah. So coming back to the topic, I know we're running a little short on time, but the topic of reinvention. So how the heck did you find the courage, the commitment, the, you know, whatever it takes to do all of the different chapters of your life and leave some things behind and start fresh, you know, from musician to portraits to what it took to be able to live where you want to and and all that because I find that one of the hardest things when I'm coaching people or I'm doing a strategy session for somebody to take a look there's a lot of fear of just like actually stepping out and and doing the work of reaching for the goals so do you have some thoughts some wisdom some advice on all that hmm. I would say when you get to the point where you're just not enjoying what you're doing, where you're like I was burned out first on music, then burned out on photography, it, it becomes it's a spiritual imperative to move in some new direction because so many people just get stuck and that's I, I see one of the problems in this country is that there's so many people that have been doing, say, the same thing, factory work, mining work. They know nothing else and find it very difficult to move in any new direction. And life just does not allow that. And yes, it's difficult to be open. It's difficult to to have the fears and overcome your fears. But what's, I think, most important is to understand 
Well, there's, you know, there's the verse in the Bible about the birds and the bees, you know, can't quote it entirely, but see how the birds and the bees, you know, uh, they neither sow nor reap, but yet our Father in heaven provides for them. And, and like none are so richly clothed or something that preacher's daughter and me should know that by heart. But <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. So in other words, you're saying trusting that you're going to be provided for. Yes, yes, and that's it. And and you you might have to do stonemasonry. You might right. have to sell paint. You might have to clean toilets. But if you just move in the direction, the next direction that life is leading to you, that your passion is leading you to, and trusting that that the universe, the creative spirit of the universe will support you in that direction. Right. Whether we call it God or Buddha or nature or our higher self or serendipity, that when we start moving in a direction, things start to unfold and open up. What I'm hearing. But when we're sitting in our chair or going on ski trips and thinking, gosh, I'd love to live here, and then going home and doing something you know, for the next 30 years, wishing and hoping. Yeah, that's a, life is short. Yeah. I I love how brave you are. Now, you haven't had children. No, and that does give you an awful lot of freedom, I do have to say. Yes. <laughs> and yet, a lot of my coaching clients, when we talk about what the benefits, we talk about their dream, we get a really clear vision. And then we talk about what would be one of the great things about this. And so many times, people who have children say, having my children see me do something I love, take some risks, and create the life that I dream about. That is one of the best parts of bringing this to fullness. So you know, you and I, you know, without not being parents, we get to do that for people that aren't our children. But I imagine it's a wonderful feeling for kids to see a life well lived by the parent, because then they will demand that of their own life. How true. How yes. true. Well, and I think having children forces people to focus more on certainly the financial success of whatever endeavor. Yes, and leaving a legacy. Yes. And so so there's benefits in both directions and life unfolds the way it does. So you know, some people by choice don't have children, some people like me life just unfolded that way and so yes, I I didn't have that push to have to figure out a way to to support some other little humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I've had that freedom to probably travel more and and so forth. So yeah. I'm big on not having something be an excuse. Mm-hmm. So the excuse of I can't live the life I want because I have children, or I can't live the life I want because I don't, or you know, fill in the blank of whatever the resistance thought is what I'm hearing from you is sort of that going for it, being open, 
setting goals, staying attentive to that serendipity and also willing to do the things that aren't fun. Yeah. In service of what is fun. Yeah. Thank you for that. I know, you know, we talk about this a lot over the course of our friendship and I love being able to share just a little window into that. So where do you see yourself evolving now? Well, I see a big market, especially for all the the travel photography that I that I've accumulated for wall decor. Ah. In so many places. I mean, you know, there's hotels, uh, doctors offices, uh, just you name it. And yes, you can you can go out and buy a photograph online, find it and put it slap it up on your walls, but but it it takes a more of a sales ability to go out and meet people and to meet and talk with art consultants and to develop a line of photographs that people can use to decorate offices and interior spaces. So that's what I, that's what I would, that's the dream. Well, and it sounds perfect for you because everything you've done up until now, your experiences, it seems to me like it's a, that's a really natural fit and you can create opportunities and some will show up coincidentally. You know, I can definitely, because your travel photography to me is superior and the storytelling aspect, but also individual photographs that sometimes just like literally take my breath away when you post them on Facebook or when you were doing your blog more. So I see that I'm going to mind meld with you. And I see that okay. <laughs> happening because everywhere, anytime you're in a dentist chair, there's some kind of picture on the wall. I mean, there's, there's endless walls. They keep making more walls. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. And they keep redecorating those walls. Right. Right. So I can't wait to hear more of how that unfolds. Oh, Thank you, Dennis. I have really enjoyed having this kind of concentrated conversation with you about the arc of your career so far to be continued. Definitely. Yeah. And I think one of the luxuries of having this podcast, being a broadcaster, is getting to share people that I know have so much richness to share that others and newer photographers, you know, would would never encounter. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So how can people see more of your work, get in touch with you? Well, I've just developed a, a new website, which is uh, www.dreamcatcherimaging. And that's I-M-A-G-I-N-G.com, Dreamcatcher Imaging. And also you can look on Instagram, Dreamcatcher Imaging on Instagram. And so I I post there fairly regularly. And I'll be adding more travel galleries to my website as as it uh, continues to unfold. And and you can also read about me on anklereplacementblog.com because I just had an ankle replacement five weeks ago and I decided to blog about my experience. Yeesh. So do you want speaking opportunities? Is that something if somebody wanted you to come and do a workshop or? Oh, sure. 
Sure. I've done many workshops, many private uh, workshops, uh, etc. Sure. I do that all yeah. the time. So if people are listening and like, hey, let's get him at our convention or our, our meeting or something. Yeah. So thank you so much again, Dennis, for being on my show and just being so awesome. I really appreciate you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And anytime, Lucy. So I have an invitation. This month, I have space for four strategy calls absolutely as a gift from me to my podcast listeners. So if you would like to be one of the four, you can send me a quick email to Lucy with an I at lucydumas.com and I will send you a link for a quick chat to set that up. And so here's a quick little wrap up. So Dennis and I talked about his journey from being a musician in the symphony to meeting a woman who was a beautiful dressmaker and starting a photography business, enjoying his career, doing amazing, gorgeous work, and then deciding that he was reaching burnout and moving to Colorado and making a decision that one way or another, he was going to make this work. Even if he had to clean toilets, be a stonemason, sell paint, he got to live where he wanted and grew a new aspect. We talked about some of the cliff notes of architectural photography and what high-end photography in the specialty is like. We also talked about reinventing and, and the importance of commitment that when you're not enjoying your life, I love what he said about It can be a spiritual imperative to get yourself unstuck in living the life that you want. So chatted about the benefits of having children or not having children in our business and about serendipity, about how when we start to move in the direction of our dreams, things unfold for us. And so my wish for you, dear listeners, is that you think about the steps you can take, and they don't have to be big ones. Like when I decided to turn my studio that I was not using very much was above my garage into a vacation rental, my first step was to find out what it took to get the gas working up there again. And then it just unfolded. Like I had a ticket, I got on a train, and we moved down the tracks. And then six weeks later, I was renting it out. And um, my studio was in my garage at this point. So go for it. That's what I want to say. And thank you again for subscribing and sharing and leaving some comments on the iTunes version of this so that more people can learn about the profitable photographer and become profitable. Thank you very much. Love you guys. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.